Hello, everyone, and welcome to James Cameron's Titanic Scene by Scene. I'm Brittany Butler. I'm Ethan Brim. And now we're moving on to They've Got You Trapped, uh, the scene in the gym, but also the scene with Mr. Andrews on the deck and the lifeboats and all that stuff. Uh, so we got a lot to talk about now moving forward um, from this scene and uh, the two coming up after. I mean, we're really getting into what makes Titanic Titanic in the pop culture landscape of life. <laughs> mm-hmm. Definitely. Some, some pretty big scenes. So before we get into it, have an email that I'd like to read. This is from Edie. I think that's how you say her name. She says... Hi, Brittany and Ethan. I wanted to say a great big thank you for your podcast. I look forward to listening to it every time a new episode drops. I just listened to A Real Party and I wanted to reach out. I love that you, Brittany, can requote this movie like it's second nature. It flows out of you so seamlessly. Ethan, you have such a genuine sense of humor and I love that you guys make such an awesome team. This movie means so much to me for so many reasons. I'm a huge history buff and I love movies as well. I can remember scenes, dialogue, and requote them all day. Eventually, I would like to have my own podcast and have it be entertainment related as well. I think one of the main reasons this movie means so much to me is that when this movie first came out, my parents had just separated and eventually divorced. I remember seeing this movie with my mom and we bonded together for the loss of the tragedy of the Titanic, of course, but I think we bonded more because we had been dealing with our family breaking up. I legit remember seeing this movie maybe five times while it was in the theater the first time around. Because I love this movie so much, my dad bought it for me when it came out on VHS, which I still own to this day. So on some level, this movie still bonds my family. I'm a grown woman now, but this movie still holds a special place in my heart because of the connection between my mom and dad. I recently just lost my grandfather, and my dad's cancer is back. Jeez. I know. So what I think more than anything else, what Titanic and life has taught me, is that life is precious. We have to treasure the moments, good or bad, because they bond us for life. I want to let you know that I will continue to tune in and hear your thoughts about the awesomeness that is Titanic. Regards, Edie from San Antonio, Texas. Cool. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah, thanks. For that email. It's so nice to hear these things. Like, you know, obviously I knew that there were definitely people out there that also had Titanic being a major part of their life. It's Titanic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, the odds of it touching other people are very high. Uh, So, like, I knew, obviously, that there'd be people out there, but it's really nice to hear from them. And, you know, hearing all these personal stories, like uh, everything that she's going through with her family and the connection that she has through the movie with that, it's just... It's just amazing when you think of art like that and what it can do. Mm-hmm. No, it's crazy. I mean, that's why we watch stuff, right? And that's why we, that's how we connect with it. And we mm-hmm. with other people who share the same sentiment, obviously not the same situations all the way around, but um, yeah, that's what makes art. Because at the end of the day, it's art, right? It's yeah, it's it's art and you in and entertainment together, and and I think that's why movies are so special, right? Because they can be both. So yeah, so once again, thank you for that email. If any of you guys have anything you want to share, feel free to email us, titanicscenebyscene at gmail.com. Moving into the scene, 
this scene starts with Jack climbing up the railing over into the first class. And it's interesting because there was a deleted scene right before this. Uh, and Fabrizio and Tommy are helping him get over the rail. It's kind of nice because Fabrizio disappears for like so long in this movie. Yeah, I'd like him to just be there in, in all these scenes like in the background. Yeah. Just sitting there reading a book. It's a, it's like kind of nice to see their friendship a little bit and Tommy as well and you know they're like she's not worth it buddy like like stop like whatever like she's she's out of your league like it's impossible and he's just like you know what just just help me like you know what I mean so they help him up and then there's also a bit where they focus on the classes again a little bit Fabrizio and Tommy get caught after Jack already goes over the rail and they're told like get out of here go like get back to where you belong or whatever and they're like yes we're going we're going like there's that too because I remember I was saying if people felt like Jack was roaming around a little too freely yeah so I think that was included to be like oh no don't worry it wasn't allowed but at the same time the scene before this we had just seen Jack get turned away from a from a first class area so maybe it would have been a little overkill if we yeah, saw like it again. He keeps getting turned down from stuff. Or like just anybody, like yeah. any like you know, just yeah. Fabrizio and Tommy now getting turned away it would have been like, okay, we get it. <laughs> we get it. There's class differences. Thank you, yeah. James Cameron. But that's just interesting because you don't think about how high the distance was for him to yeah. climb over that railing. Like you're just like that's true. Oh, okay. Actually, yeah, you don't really. <laughs> you're just like accept it. Yeah, you don't even think about it. Yeah, you're just yeah. like, oh yeah, he's just climbing. You don't stop to think about how that may or may not be possible. <laughs> and I think as like a filmmaker, you have to keep that in mind a lot. People aren't going to notice this stuff. I mean, if you watch it a yeah. trillion times, maybe you can. But like the first time you watch it, or even like ten times you watch it, like most people aren't going to notice that, and you have to just keep that in mind. You want to imply stuff, but you also don't want to draw attention to something that wouldn't have been noticed in the first place exactly and so and it's cool right so like that little scene was there but we don't need it it just bam cuts right to jack climbing over the railing exactly and and you would never know that there was something before there Mm -hmm. you know yeah i love that yeah so he climbs over the railing and now he's in like you know a different class Mm -hmm. area and he walks by you see like a little boy spinning a top and his father and another person and this is based exactly on a photo oh. there's a photo that was taken on the titanic by francis brown the, the priest, priest we yeah. talked about before mm-hmm. it was a photo that he took which is pretty cool but he was he got off in ireland though i think mm-hmm. so this was before yeah it was before yeah it was based on something from the first uh part yeah yeah and so it's really cool so it's like almost an exact recreation of this picture of this little boy spinning atop the boy uh, was named Robert Douglas Spedden and he survived the Titanic but then he died three years later in an automobile accident oh no Um, and uh, he's seen in the photo with his father Frederick yeah it's just interesting and the father in the scene is being played by uh, Don Lynch who is one of the historians yeah. who was you know worked on the movie so that's cute that they let him be in the movie like that's that that's cool yeah and also be like one of the historical aspects I love this because we're looking at this scene take place that's based on a real thing and Jack is just walking in the background in the actual picture there's one of the deck chairs with a coat draped on it and so in the movie now James Cameron's like okay I'm gonna insert my fictional character and he's going to interact with that coat whoa that's cool 
I gotta watch that scene again with that in mind. That's really cool. I didn't know that. Right? And I, yeah. when I thought about it, because I've seen that picture a lot, but I didn't pay close enough attention to see if there was a coat. Yeah. And then I looked up the picture and I was like, oh my God, there's a coat. That's really cool. I think I have seen the picture because when I saw it, I, the movie just now, I remembered it too well for it to have been from the first time I watched it. So I'm yeah. pretty sure I've seen the picture before. Right there, I was thinking to myself, I was like, honestly, that's the definition of historical fiction. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's like it's like having this totally historical, actual situation happen and interweaving this fictional character into the world mm-hmm. with it still maintaining that historical relevancy and, and yeah. importance. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's almost like you could look at it even in a different way, like Jack was the guy he was a real guy he was the guy who owned the coat in the picture and that's yeah. what this movie's about you know what i mean so you can even kind of <laughs> plot look at twist it, it's really you know, about the guy who owns the coat yeah like it kind of uh like expands it in your head about mm-hmm. just the unit like the people who who were actually on the ship and mm-hmm. it's crazy that's really cool i love it so that yeah. was just something super cool that i thought was awesome um so of course so jack interacts with that coat uh and uh steals slash borrows it as that comes into play later it cuts from that to rose ruth and cal um continuing their tour with mr andrews so this whole scene with rose you know doing the math from what thomas andrews told her about how many passengers there are how many lifeboats there are you know how many people the lifeboats can hold she's like mm, wait a minute there's not enough for all of us is there yeah that's crazy it's interesting because some people think that this is a scene that kind of hits you over the head with like here's some more facts about the titanic and the fact that it's gonna sink but i think you need to know it you need to know that because the lifeboat was the big issue right that was yeah like why so many people died Mm -hmm. was there weren't enough lifeboats and that's kind of what changed the requirements for all these cruises or whatever to come in years later but and not only was there not enough lifeboats, it was also the the organization. Yeah, was, was also like, a mess. Yeah, like they weren't. You couldn't get to them fast enough, right? Was that or something like that? So, so Rose is, but I like this because it shows another side to Rose's smarts. You know, we've already seen that she is cultured in her taste in art books and you know freud and all this other stuff you know Mm -hmm. she's listening to what he's doing and she's doing the math in her head i'm and i'm also not only am i doing that but i'm going to voice the fact and stand up for the idea that wait a minute care to explain why there's not enough lifeboats for everybody yeah and you know that's why he's just like yeah you miss nothing do you (laughs) yeah she's not just looking through the world with rose-colored glasses she pays attention no pun intended but she has pays attention to details yeah Mm-hmm. Like the way her mother and Cal are walking around, just like, uh huh, yeah. Like they're not yeah. listening, like they're not thinking twice about the facts he's saying and everything. This rose has her thorns. <laughs> Every rose has its thorns. Badoom. <laughs> <laughs> so, this information about the lifeboats. It is a little simplified for the sake of the movie, of course. Like, the movie kind of chalks it up to, I put in these new type davits that could handle more boats, but it was thought that the deck would look too cluttered. So Mr. Andrews was overruled, and that's that. That's why there weren't enough lifeboats. Which, that I believe that was part of it. Like, the um, aesthetic 
played a role in not wanting too many things to, you know, clutter the appearance of the beautiful deck. Uh, But also the main thing was that Titanic met the requirements. Okay. At the time, the law was, okay, if your ship is over 10,000 tons, you have to have this many lifeboats or something like that. So it didn't have to do with the amount of passengers? Nope. It had to do with the size of the ship. Which is really weird. Was there no maximum for the amount of passengers then? Or like See the weird thing is that apparently this rule that was made uh hadn't been changed in eighteen years by the time Titanic was sailing. So from the time the rule was made, ships have gotten insanely bigger yeah, that's since true. since that rule and can hold way more people. Yeah. But the law still was, okay, if you're over 10,000 tons or whatever, you have to have this many lifeboats. That doesn't make any sense. Like, it should have to do with the people. Like, why would that make any sense? Like, they didn't think any of these ships were going to go down? It's so weird. Yeah, but it's crazy. So, like, Titanic was, like, 52 or something like that, thousand tons, and so they're complying with this rule that's outdated in their case, you know? Yeah. And so it's just like, well, we're meeting the requirements of this law that's still the law, so technically we're in the clear. I can't even fathom the weight, like a thousand pounds. Like I don't, I have no frame of reference for how heavy a hundred thousand pounds. Oh, is. I know, and also you, like you know? how that can float on the ocean is still insane. It's so weird. <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things you can't wrap your head around the magnitude of of what this means. Yeah. But I think that's another reason why they thought it was so amazing, right? They're sailing this giant ton ship across the ocean. They're like, they're like that's yeah. a miracle <laughs> to be able to do something like that. Well, cause in my head just now I was like a hundred thousand pounds. That seems like it, it's kind of on the lighter side for what I thought the Titanic would be. But then it's like, I have no idea how much that weight that weighs, yeah. you know, like I probably know it could be like 4,000 pounds because I still can't comprehend that. Yeah. Yeah, but that's crazy. So basically, yeah, they were in the clear. They were meeting the requirements. And so therefore it was like, well, I'm assuming it was like, well, then I guess, you know, we can also have our aesthetics that we want too, Mm -hmm. because we're we're meeting the requirement. Then, of course, they have Cal say, waste of deck space as it is on an unsinkable ship. His choices are (laughs) laughable sometimes. His acting choices. Yeah. And also the line, you know, just driving it home again. Mr. Andrews says, Titanic is all the lifeboat you need. Yeah. I've built a good ship. And I mean, he did. I did. I mean, I mean it it's a gorgeous ship. It wasn't the ship's fault, you know, in here. It was just that one, everything, again, the perfect storm, the one flaw that could have taken it out happened. Yeah. Right as they're about to keep walking, Jack sneaks Rose into the gym right there. He was just casually leaning on one of the lifeboats or something. And then he's like, yeah, come in here. I'm like, first of all, that is kind of scary <laughs> for this guy to just take you and, and you know, shove you into this gym. She at least knew him a little bit at this point. Um, but still, you never know. Yeah. But of course, it was fine. I think it's interesting because as soon as they get in the gym and he closes the door, it's like we're at this point now where they want to be together. Yeah. They've both kind of made that decision, I think, because uh-huh. it's like a me- like the first thing she says is this is impossible. Yeah. So she's acknowledging that 
she wants it, but it just can't happen. I mean, it doesn't even necessarily have to be referring to their romantic relationship. It can just be like them just talking in general is impossible mm-hmm. due to their class difference. But at the same time, it's like an, I think they both kind of just unspoken. Yeah. You know. It's just like, you know, he's like, I need to talk to you. She's like, this is impossible. <laughs> like, I have well, to go. Turns out it is impossible because Jack dies. No. <laughs> Again with the spoilers. <laughs> I love the way we have to just keep saying that in almost every episode. Yeah, you know, she's like, this is impossible. I can't see you. Yeah, I love the way he says, let me try to get this out. You're amazing. <laughs> like, he's going to say, you're amazing. <laughs> it's just so cute. Like, every time I think about that, I'm like, for some, like, that's so innocent. Yeah. Like, for someone to just tell someone, you're amazing. It's so high school. It's right. It's so just like, yep. it's so just like, I've, I've rehearsed this over and over. So what I'm going to say, yep. you're amazing. You're amazing. <laughs> you're amazing. Like different ways of saying it. You're amazing. No, you're, you're amazing. You're want, amazing. No, you're, you you're amazing. <laughs> Rose, I, I need you to know something. I think you're amazing. That's it. <laughs> oh God. I know we were saying he was probably up all night thinking about it. Like we said. Yeah. I like these cliches that we've seen a million times in these in like romantic comedies or whatever. Yep. Oh, it's so cute though. Yeah, it is. It is cool. I like it. It is. It's so. It's kind of. It's relatable. You know, she says again. We know clearly she wants to be with him. With the way she says, Jack, I'm engaged. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I'm marrying Cal. I love Cal. <laughs> in, ca- in case the audience forgot. She, you know, she's trying to affirm it to herself, you know? Yeah, she's trying to convince herself. Yeah. She's she's like, no, this is the way it is. Like, like I didn't say I loved him earlier. Exactly. And so now I need to say it. Because, you know? mm-hmm. th- exactly. Because, yeah, he was asking her, you know, do you love him? And she obviously couldn't say it, but now she's like, I love Cal. Unprompted. <laughs> the like, way yeah. she says it is also so shaky, too, the way she says it. Yeah. It's very obvious. That's why he makes that face. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, it's kind of condescending. Like, he's yeah. like, come on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She's not, she's not believing herself either, I don't think. Yeah. So he says the whole, you're no picnic thing. You're a spoiled little brat. But under that, <laughs> you know, you're the most amazingly astounding, wonderful girl, woman that I've ever known. <laughs> And then, yeah, that's the, Jack, I, let me try to get this out. You're a mate. But then, you know, it's nice, though, you know, him saying, okay, it's like, I know how the world works. Yeah. I have 10 bucks in my pocket. I have nothing to offer you, but I'm involved. I just want to know you're going to be all right. And it was funny in my notes, I wrote when he just says, you jump, I jump. Remember, I wrote, good point. (laughs) Good point. Was up all night thinking of that one. (laughs) <laughs> but it's true you know he's like i he helped her in that time and now you know he's like yeah, yeah. he's like i can't I, I saw what was going on with you mm-hmm. he's seen that glimpse into her situation and now he's like i don't want to just turn away without knowing that you know you'll be all right yeah and you know she says the i'll be fine <laughs> really <laughs> i'll be fine really i don't think so <laughs> Oh my gosh. Some choices. Also, yeah. these line, some of the lines are like 
questionable. Yeah, this is the one scene where I have a little problem with the dialogue, with the, you know, so it's the, they've got you trapped, Rose. Yeah. And you're going to die if you don't break free. Maybe not right away because you're strong, but sooner or later, that fire that I love about you, Rose, that fire's going to burn out. Is this Nicolas Cage saying this, or is this <laughs> But I mean... Again, this is one of those scenes where I chalk it up to like, all right, it's melodrama, it's old school, yeah, it's it's whatever. I mean, and Leo's delivery could be a little better, but it is just kind of like, it is what it is. I like this because it leads into Rose sort of shutting down the trope we've come to accept in these things. Like, you know, the man saving the girl. And she just yeah. says like, it's not up to you to save me, Jack. Yeah. You know, and he sort of puts it back on her like he's like yeah only you can do that it's a very like non-preachy way of addressing it too like they didn't they avoided like this whole thing where that it's very obvious that it overshadows like the whole movie Mm -hmm. but it's still poignant Mm -hmm. but you watch i don't know if you've seen captain marvel but like the whole movie it's like okay we get it like she doesn't need a guy like i got that within like the first Mm -hmm. 30 minutes like you don't need to keep saying it i like it in this movie because it's like it's there and it's it's palpable. You get it. It gets its point across. Mm-hmm. And it's also, it's not only that she doesn't need a guy, it's that it's like she can have the guy yeah. and also be her own person. Yeah, she can have her cake and eat it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, she can't have the guy in the end, but... Stop! <laughs> Stop! <laughs> okay, sorry. But yeah, I know, yeah. She can. It, it is kind of interesting and, and it's the idea of... Yeah, the guy is there to sort of nudge her along, like we've talked about that. But in the end, it's still up to her to actually take the invitation, I guess, or decide, you know, again, with choices. It's like, but that's like any good relationship. You nudge each other along, like you help Mm -hmm. support each other's decisions. Yeah. And you, you know, you give advice and you give and you do what you can. But like you're, you're there, like at the end of the day, if you are with each other and you are in a strong relationship like you're going to confide in one another like that's it it, Mm -hmm. what it is you know regardless of whether or not this conversation is like them wanting to be together which i think obviously that's Mm -hmm. implied um i think it also just shows that like at this point he's grown to at least care about her and her mental health yeah like you know what i mean that's what he's looking out for for like when he says like you know that fire like you're gonna die he means like inside yeah you know it's like she as a person is gonna is gonna die um you know her spirit and who who she is her 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 mental stability everything is you know if she doesn't take care of herself or like or like (laughs) decide to save herself or whatever you know and then james cameron like over explains what he meant but i think it was pretty obvious like he meant you're gonna die inside no you believe it or not like it's at least like growing up like i didn't think about it that way oh really until later in life a little bit you know but i I think like maybe it's kind of one of the things that he could have left it open for interpretation like okay i get it now like he means inside not Mm. literally like he could have made it more kind of implicit i mean there's that but then it's also we already saw her attempt to commit suicide. Oh, that's true. Okay, yeah, I guess So that's true. why I was like, if he says, like, you're going to die if you don't break free, like, if she... It could happen again. Yeah, it's a little touchy, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a little touchy, yeah. I get it. It's true. Yeah. So it's... Yeah. And I also like the way he said that he loves that fire about her because Jack never says, I love you. Really? Yeah, no. Uh. And so just hearing him at least say she says it, that uh, word right? at some point she says it yeah but then he says like no 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 <laughs> don't say that 
but yeah, so there was originally a line around here where he's saying like the whole fire thing. Originally, it was supposed to be like, it was worse. It was like, you know, like a butterfly. If it's trapped in a cup, it'll like bat its wings against the thing until it can break free. See how I can get another metaphor in here. <laughs> now, for once, for once in the illustrated screenplay, a blurb from James Cameron says... Jack's original line comparing Rose to a butterfly in a jar was deleted in post. As shot, the line was slightly different, and yeah, it was like, you ever seen a butterfly in a jar, like, taps its wings against the glass or whatever? And then, according to James Cameron, the reference seemed too on the nose and decided that the butterfly theme associated with Rose's character would be best played out with visuals only. And I'm like, okay, you couldn't do that with some other scenes too? <laughs> it's like, Jeez. that's the one that seemed too he on the nose? <laughs> metaphors. Oh my gosh. This dude, James Cameron, just loves metaphors. But yeah, but it's but it's funny. And so that's why she has the butterfly comb. Okay, yeah. In her yeah. hair. So like, that's kind of the visual representation of like this butterfly being there as like this symbol of her and then also with the flying scene which is the next scene of course yeah and another thing another thing I wrote about you know Jack trying to get through to her when she decides to leave in that scene you know where he's like you know she just says I'm going back leave me alone and she leaves he looks like so upset you know, at least I always thought when I was younger, it's like, oh, he's so upset. She doesn't want to be with him. That's why he's upset. But now I think of it more as he's not that upset because he lost her in that way. Like with her saying like, oh, I'm going away, like shutting him out that way yeah. of like the relationship. He's like more upset about her decision for her own life, kind of. Yeah, he's upset. Yeah, he's upset because he doesn't want to see her like sabotage herself. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true, actually. Yeah, that's a good point. I like it. That's how, like, I've been seeing it more. Like him like him just really trying to get through to her, and then when she decides, no, I'm going back, leave me alone, he's like, dang. Like, it's not yeah. just for him, it's for her. Yeah, he doesn't want to see her ruined. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. I like that. Yeah, right? Cool stuff. God, every time I take my notes on this movie, I just discover something new each time I take my pen to paper and I start writing all these other thoughts start coming up. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, wait, this could mean this. Oh, this could mean this. Like, you know. Yeah. I love it. You got the hot takes here. <laughs> um, I have this book that's called Titanic Anatomy of a Blockbuster. Okay. It's full of just essays and articles written by like film critics and film students um, about the movie and a lot of different opinions and uh, it's written kind of in like this highbrow kind of way so it's kind of difficult to Mm -hmm. really get to the point (laughs) in a lot of these articles I'm like all right what are you trying to say but there are some really good uh, things so there was this one bit that says for adolescent audiences Jack's playful quality may speak to the element in their psyches that clings to childhood huh I mean, that's not, like, that's totally not what we're talking about right now. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, that's interesting. For, I don't know if, you know, the people who are listening, we're two very nostalgic individuals. Yeah. And so reading that sentence was just kind of like, ooh. Like, me as a fan of this movie, I'm like, ooh, do I kind of gravitate towards Jack for that reason? Yeah. It's, he just sort of encapsulates this youthfulness that is just appealing and, this forever young sort of thing. Because he has a really good, 
like mature mindset, I think, but he's also naive, right? Yes. And he's, and he's kind of like at that point in his life, immortalized in that point in his life where he's a teenager, but turning into an adult and Mm -hmm. he's learning about it. And obviously he still has a lot to learn, but also he knows more than most people his age or even older. So he kind of like is on that, he's that blurry line between naive and mature and like childish to not childish in a bad way, but you know, childish and like boyish eyes wide open taking the world as it comes to him, but also being on the lookout for red flags or things that don't make sense. And I guess this is another small thing I tabbed in the book that I guess makes sense to say now. Again, like we were talking about this off the record about something else, but how casting is so important. It said that James Cameron's creative reworking of the lower class man uh, as like this sensitive, attractive, boyish artist... I'm reading from the book, from the anatomy book. Mm -hmm. Um, It says, The decision to present the hero as a boyishly unthreatening figure necessarily also meant abandoning the conventional body type of the male action hero. Because he's like all scrawny and stuff? Yeah. Interesting. It is interesting. Yeah, yeah. I always thought Aladdin did that. And then it says that the masculine size and power was displaced from the film's love story and put more on you know, the ship and, oh, okay. and, and, and all that, gotcha. that sort of thing. Okay. I kind of saw Aladdin as that to me, like he was just kind of like this scrawny little kid mm-hmm. who like was the hero because of his yeah. heart. And it's kind of like that, um, here too. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, yeah. obviously it's not the first time that's been done, but I, I mean, but it's like to think about like a movie of this level of success yeah, and exactly. this level of, of cultural prominence. And also like we're talking about like kind of like a trope or even like an archetype that Jack kind of, I don't know if he would, you can say he started. I can't really think of a time before this where like that, you know, like you said, that artsy boyish baby face look mm-hmm. that we've seen a bunch of times since then in movies and mm-hmm. like rom-coms or, or rom-coms. I keep saying rom-coms, but like mm-hmm. dramedies, whatever. I don't know if you could say that he's kind of popularized it or started, but that's also something interesting to note. And it's interesting to think that that might be one of the reasons, like we've talked about DiCaprio hate and stuff, but it's also just interesting because it's like, he's not this big, strong image of masculinity. It makes you wonder if that was off-putting to male audiences. Like, ah, the soft, sensitive type. Like, I was always taught to be, like, big and strong. And, like, Mm -hmm. now I, you know, I'm being shown up by this guy. Yeah. It's kind of like the, like what I said about, like, the, (laughs) we're talking about Timothy Chalamet. Like, (laughs) he kind of has, I think that's, like, his appeal, too, right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. boyish kind of like dude's like 25 and he looks like he's like 13 or something but yeah 15 or something whatever yeah, yeah like he looks super young but it's kind of like that appeal definitely it's all very interesting to think about yeah, yeah. so I think, think that'll be it for this scene <laughs> um so of course uh the next scene we're moving on to is the flying scene which is just so iconic very layered as well as most things are in this movie Mm -hmm. so that's about it thank you guys so much for listening uh follow us on all the socials everything will be in the description leave a voicemail if you want send an email and yeah we will see you guys in the next scene see it